we have come to our final installment of Habits to Happiness. It is the seventh episode. It comes to a good closing. So how many of you, you have enjoyed this series so far? Raise your hand. Yes, Habits to Happiness. I want you to know, all of us, um, we, live in a, we live in a generation that we know a lot. But it is not about knowing, it is about applying what we know that really brings about change in our lives. So we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our discipline. The more disciplined you are, the nearer you will get to your goal. Can I have, can I have an amen? amen? So it is really, I, I know you have learned a lot over this period of time, but take small steps to apply it into your life so that there will be permanent or, or meaningful change that we can all witness together as a church. So discipline actually to me equals freedom. If you want to have financial freedom, you've got to have the discipline of saving up and investing. The more disciplined you are, the more freedom you will enjoy. A lot of times when, when you talk about freedom, like uh, I want to have the freedom to go about um, um, hiking or doing uh, sports, the more disciplined I am in my daily uh, uh, routine of exercising, the more freedom I have to the place that I want to go. That, that, does that make sense? So it is the same. The more disciplined you are in building your spiritual life, the more freedom you will have in your life in operating in the Word of God, praying for people, because a lot of times we must understand the life that we want to live is the discipline that we are willing to pay. Are you all with me? So as a church, I, I want us to have the discipline, not, not just based, based upon your feeling of how you feel that day will determine your closeness to God. No, let's be a disciplined church that we know what really matters in uh, uh, this life. So today I am going to attempt, uh, you know, I, I give you a little bit of background first. Uh, I had a, I have a, a, a wonderful fellowship with uh, Dr. Andrew the other day. We, we had ice cream and we talked. So this, this, this man has finished his uh, medicine degree and decided to take a master's in public health. And then going into this program, he said that, you know what, he realized when you are uncomfortable, is when you are really learning. When you are uncomfortable is when you are really growing. So I think we have to quit making church too comfortable. Can I have an amen? <laughs> you know that, that, that all we do as a church is to, is to make you feel comfortable. Then maybe we have failed the mandate that God has given to us. So in, in order to leave that out, I was preparing, you know, when we are designing uh, uh, um, Habits to happiness, there are different disciplines that we, are, uh, we, we, we should take, habits that we should take. When I took the topic on stewardship, I want to be honest with you, I have something else in mind. I was thinking of Paul telling the church how to be disciplined in the things that God has trusted them. And then I'm going to have three points of you got to be disciplined in your finances, you got to be disciplined with your time, you got to be disciplined with your energy, and I'm going to close with a sermon like that. As I was preparing, I suddenly stumbled upon, uh, when I was searching for, for, for materials, I stumbled upon Luke 16. So when I read Luke 16 the first time, I said, okay, forget about it. This is too tough a passage to preach. So I skipped. And then at night, Luke 16 came back to me. And, and I said, okay, God, I look at it again. I look at it again. Let's find a revelation. Let's find a point that I can preach. Okay, God. So I look at Luke 16. I look at it and I, okay, forget about it, I got, I, I'll just go back. Ding, ding, dong, dong, ding, dong. And, and I want to tell you on Tuesday when I met pastor, I said, pastor, 
do you want to preach Luke 16 or not? <laughs> Pastor said, Lichi Sinali, you preach yourself. So, so, so I, I couldn't get through it, you know. I really couldn't get through it. And I keep reading Luke 16. The more I read it, the more my heart says, no way I'm going to preach this message. You know why? Because I went to all the commentaries and all the sections. All of them said this is one of the toughest, toughest parables to interpret. All of them said that this is the toughest parable to interpret. So who am I? You know, I, I thought, okay, Pastor Andrew, why don't you take over this weekend? But uh, I know. It is when I'm uncomfortable that I'm praying so much more, that I'm reading the passage again and again and again. I want all of us to look at Luke 16 today differently. Can I have an amen? amen. You ready to learn? Yes. We love the Word of God. Can we take uh, 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 tough messages sometimes, yes? yes? Or all the time, actually. So, uh, you, you can sense it. Um, after six Weekends of uh, learning about spiritual discipline, meditating on God's Word, on prayer, on solitude, on serving, you know, on fasting, on uh, uh, um, what else? Stewardship, worship last week. Uh, and Kason, we are praying for your dad. You know, Kason's dad is going through a, a, a difficult time with a, a heart condition. So do keep uncle in prayer. Um, and today, coming to stewardship, you know, perhaps it is important for us first to know what is stewardship and who is a steward? In the most simplistic term, a steward is a manager who administers that which belongs to someone else. A steward is someone who administers or manages something that belongs to someone else. If you own a business and hire an administrator to oversee the finances of that business, you have hired a finance manager. So the finance manager clearly knows that he doesn't or she doesn't own the money, but the company. If you use it without proper uh, uh, accounting, then it will be called embezzlement. It is a breach of trust. Are you all with me? So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you have denied yourself, picked up the cross and surrendered your life to Him, the Bible says that, that your life belongs to Him. Galatians 2, 19-20 say this, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in a Son of God who loves me and gives Himself for me. The Bible says that I have been crucified. Say, I have been crucified. As Christians, we have been crucified together with Christ during your baptism. It is the significance of you dying, dying to your old self and rising up together with Christ. And Ephesians 2.10, we are very familiar that we are known to be the workmanship of God. Are you all with me? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says that we are God's workmanship. We are we are created for the glory of God. I remember when we were young, there is something that we often talk about is that, guys, as, as collective, we are possessors of nothing but stewards of everything. You remember that we are possessors of nothing but steward of everything. Everything that you can see today, everything that you think you have, it's not going to be yours forever. I, I, I can share with you that I thought I'm healthy, I thought I'm strong, I thought that I'm very disciplined. At times, my health went out of my control as well. I have witnessed a lot of deaths in my life and I want to tell you this, none of them at their deathbed bed wish to work another day. 
they would want to spend more time with their family. They would want to spend more time knowing God. They would want to spend more time with what's really meaningful. That's relationship. So, Psalms 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I just want to establish a foundation. Even, even your body that I talk about, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This is what we should subscribe to as a believer of Christ. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. So I figure you cannot be a growing disciple of Jesus without coming to terms of the need of you growing in the area of stewardship. I figure out that if you really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must learn the lesson of stewardship. So before we go into Luke 16, um, Luke 15, 16, 17 was written in one breath. Is that okay? So Luke 15 is the famous story of the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It depicts the heart of God wanting to seek and search for those who are lost. That His heart is out there to seek for that one lost sheep. Are you all with me? So it started with how He depicts, how He described the father, the, the king over the kingdom. It's not one that you think that's angry, that's uh, uh, um, um, care, careless, but he actually wants the, 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 the lost to come home. And then it goes to Luke 16 about the shoot manager, about uh, a marriage, and also about Abraham, um, Lazarus, and the rich man. And then move to um, chapter 17. Jesus spoke about being a stumbling block. And then the 10 lepers. Do you remember the 10 lepers that Jesus healed? And then only one came back to thank him at his feet, uh, who was a Samaritan. And then Luke 17, 17 at the end ended with the second coming of Jesus Christ. How many of you thought, just, just thought through during this pandemic, you thought to yourself, maybe Jesus is coming back. Raise your hand. Oh, nobody. Okay, one. Two, three. I, I, I don't know when he's coming back, but near, definitely we are nearer to end times more than ever before. So, take a deep breath for myself. And let's go to Luke 16, okay? The parable of the unjust steward. Let's look into the passage together and let's, you know, take out your Bible if you want to, take out your notes, and let's look into this passage. He also said to his disciple, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I, he I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Verse 3, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking, taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am too ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly, write 50. Change the invoice. 
Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill, write 80, 20% discount. 150, 120%. So the master commanded the unjust steward. The master here represents Jesus Christ, okay? The master commanded the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fall, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in a righteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Are you all following? So charges was brought upon this manager and said, hey, you have not been uh, performing your duty well. You have, you have been, you know, Chinese Tao Yong Gong Kwan. You know, you, 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 you've been adjusting, you have been adjusting the account. And then someone reported to your boss and the boss asked this man into the, uh, the office and said, hey, I found out what you have been doing. I'm going to do an audit soon. So we will find out what's exactly the situation. Then this man, this manager knew that the boss found out already. He said, oh no, I am going to be fired. Before my boss fired me, I will go to the customer and say, hey, change the bill. Why? Because right, it will be shown like I give them a favor when I'm kicked out of this company, I still have some friends out there that will take care of me. You, you try to think. Okay, la, you, you, you just want to get by life. This is something you do just to survive. And then maybe the story should be this man go to God, repent, and then God still accept him. But no, Jesus said, well done. Ah. <sighs> Are y'all with me so far? Are y'all following? How would God praise a person for such an act? So I've been reading again and again and again. I, I just said, God, can you show me why would you praise this deceitful manager? Why would you praise this deceitful manager? He is clearly not a man with like backbone sometimes. He said, I, I, I cannot dig. I cannot do hard work. I am too proud to beg. I'm not going to be a beggar. I'm too ashamed to be a beggar. I don't want people to view me as a beggar. Neither do he want to really change his lifestyle, you know. When he was caught, he does not want to change his lifestyle either. But then Jesus would say, hey, there's something that we can learn from this man this morning. So the deceitful manager uses his wits to figure out a way to manipulate money as to secure his future. This is the gist of the story. He used his wits to manipulate um, the relationship that he has so that he can save his own butt. Are you all with me? So, what surprises most people would be the reaction of the master. Let's read verse 8 again, okay? So the master commanded the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. 
in the New Living Translation, it says, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. In the NASB, and the New American Standard Bible, it says, and his master praised the unrest, unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. What's the lesson that we want to draw here? When I read this, I have this little feeling. I just want to bring you to my world for a while. Is that okay? After I read it, it is like when I finished watching Infinity War, it's like after the Avengers were working so hard together and they have been defeating enemies after enemies, the picture of Thanos getting the last stone and put into his Infinity Gauntlet. When I finished watching Infinity War, it's exactly the same feeling of me finish reading Luke 16. You get it? Like, God, how do I wrap around, like, are we supposed to be like the sons of the world? You, you get what I mean? Like, what are you trying to teach me? Why is the bad guy winning? Why, why, is, why is God praising Thanos? This guy is destroying half the world. What's happening? So I began to pray and I began to read and I began to discuss with Pastor Andrew. Let's go into the Word of God. Firstly, instead of talking about stewardship of money, time, and energy, I want to talk about stewardship of perspective. How do you steward your perspective in life? The sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. While not approving to his conduct, the good thing about the master is that he stuck to his decision of firing the guy. Are you all with me? Still, the, the title, still the way that he called this manager is an, a dishonest manager, an unjust manager. God separated two things. One, his character. The other, his action. Okay? While not approving to his conduct, the dishonesty, the master did in fact approve the steward's shrewdness. The meaning of shrewd is clever to judge people or situations very well to make good decisions. You are a shrewd businessman because you are clever to assess the situation to make the best decision for that situation. Are you all with me? In, in, in the Greek, should means from phronemos. Phronemos can be translated as wise or prudent. Why so? Because stewardship is really about choosing wisely. Stewardship is about choosing wisely. What drives you to make a certain decision? So first, we know he has been called to give an account of what he has done. You know, Romans 14, verse 11 to verse 12 says, As it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. All of us, one day, we will have to give an account to God. What kind, what, what, whichever life that you are living in right now, you, you are thinking that I don't care about what uh, I have to give an account to my boss or to my leader, but one day, we will all give an account to God. Secondly, he took advantage of his present position to arrange for a better future. So I, I, I want to try my best to let you see this. Jesus, 
Jesus' assessment is true. The sons of the world are more shrewd or wise than the sons of the light. That means he is referring to the disciples. If we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor, what's going on here is that this man, when he was caught, he knows how to plan for his future. He knows he is still accountable to a master. He knows that his life is not now only. It's not just the present pleasure and moment. He knows that there is a future waiting for him. That's why he has to be shrewd. My question is, as Christians, do we know that there is a future awaiting for us that we need to give an account for what has been trusted unto our lives? We live as if that we don't have to pay an account and we live comfortably. That's what Jesus was trying to say. At least this man, he knows how to plan for his future. Do we know what's the future of collective? Are we shrewd enough in stewarding our next generation? Are we shrewd enough to, to, to actually steward this, this mandate that God has given to us? Or are we living as if there is no master that's going to come back? You guys are a bit quiet. But what happened is, what, what Jesus was trying to say, He is not commending His dishonesty, guys. He is not commending his bad uh, uh, character. But he said, at least there's something that we can learn from this guy here. He knows how to use his resources to plan forward. Are we a church that will look forward? Are we a church that will use our present resources to plan ahead for our eternity? We have a lot of financial planners or advisors in life. We have a lot of coach or mentors. But do we have someone that journey with us that ensures that in eternity, we are all right? Do we invest with an eye towards our everlasting home or eternity? Do we believe as a church that we can really store up treasure in heaven? What's your perspective about eternity is very important. Do we live as if heaven is just a concept or we live with the conviction that heaven is real? If we do, our actions will be different. Do do you get what I mean? If we really believe that the master is coming back, if we really believe one day we have to pay an account, if we believe that that we, we will be audited, like exam is coming, your, your whole posture is different, am I right or not? Like, like uh, CK has said, we, we got into an exam hall. If we look at the, 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 how the world is changing, if we are awake, how things are moving in our society and in this generation, we kind of know that really, one day, God will come back. Amen? Secondly, how do we learn from this uh, steward is his attitude. Attitude of a steward. Firstly, we deal with the perspective of a steward. Secondly, we deal with the attitude of a steward. In part 2 of Luke 16, it says, um, verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? He who is faithful 
in what is least is also faithful in much. In these words, Jesus is not referring to the amount of the money. Jesus is talking money is the least of all things in life that you should learn to at least be a good manager. Are you all with me or not? It is not about like, okay, he who is faithful in what is least, or you're faithful in 10 ringgit, then you're faithful in 100 ringgit. No, 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 no. God is not talking about that. God is talking about money being the least of the things in life. If you want to challenge, when you have money, you cannot have health. If you have health, you might not have relationship. That means, I'm, I'm trying to say in priority-wise, money is the lowest denominator in the kingdom of God. And he did not say that it is not important. Don't get it wrong. God said that you must be faithful in the least. Then I can trust you with true riches. If you can't manage your money well, maybe you won't be able to manage responsibility well. If you don't know how to manage responsibilities well, maybe you won't be able to manage relationship well. If you don't know how to manage relationship well, maybe you will not know how to steward the true riches of your spirituality well. Do you get the meaning? That means money is the least of all that God is at least expecting us to manage well. So collective, we need to learn to be a good steward to what God has trusted us. When you are faithful in what is least, if you know there's an eternity, you know God owns everything, at least in your giving, you will not find it so hard to part with it. I'm not just talking about giving to church, but being a generous person in general. If you can't even see that the money that you have it is good to buy someone a meal. It is good to help someone through their education. You can't see that the money that you have, it is good to be generous to your employee and give them more to bring home. If you are not faithful in what is least, how would God trust you with more? Are you all with me? So let's learn from Luke 16. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches. It is really an issue of how we manage the resources God has given to us before we manage the life that God would trust us. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, if you always think, I want to work for myself, if you always think that I want to start my own business, I want to do everything for myself, God is teaching us and say, if you can't even be faithful with what is another person's, how sure are you that you can take care of your own stuff? Well, we, we, I know that we are living in a new generation where everyone is talking about startup, but do you know there is a part where we need to learn to manage first, yeah. like your parents' money. As a student, you don't have it. You, you go to school, based on what your parents pay for your allowance, you start as young as you are, knowing that you are actually a steward of your parents' resources. As you do better, then you begin to manage your own. That's the principle of the Bible. You see, there's a paradox here that I want to bring in Luke 16. First, we read about the people of this world and the people of light the son of the world and the son of uh, light. Then there is this part about little and much. Worldly wealth and true riches. What is others? What is yours? 
What is temporal? What is eternal? What is mammon? What is God? Do you see, stewardship is about constantly understanding this concept. How do I really balance these things? Reflection. You know, what do I have now? I obviously did not bring anything with me when I, I came to this world. And I obviously can't bring anything with me when I live. But as you grow in life, do you realize that actually all of you, you have more and more in life? Do you realize that it's easier and easier for you to pay for a meal nowadays than ever before? You clearly have, have been richer. But what are you doing with what God has added, what God has added into your life? The concern here is really this. As you are stewarding all these things that God has put into your life, do you have an eye on eternity? Do you have an eye on the kingdom of God? The perspective of the steward or the attitude of a steward is that you know, you know, and you know that as much as you're managing these resources, there is a future waiting ahead of you. That's why Jesus praised this man because he knew that judgment is coming. He knew clearly. So he used all the resources that he has to plan for his future. That when one day he's kicked out, there will be homes open for him to receive him and say, hey, when you're working for that man, you were quite kind to me. You give me a 50% discount. For that 50% discount that you saved me, I give you one room to stay. He's planning for it. Do we actually do it like that? And in the Word of God, it was so straightforward. Use unrighteous mammon to win friends, to make friends. Why? Because when you have money and you sow it into relationship, in a good way, okay, in a relationship, you are actually winning people over to the kingdom of God. Use money to win friends. Here means that you use money to serve the gospel. Use money to serve the gospel and don't use the gospel to earn money. Are you all with me? That's, 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 what, that's, why, that's why God is so, you know, like Thanos, like God is so, God is not a, a gullible God. God is not an unwise God. God knows the world that we are living in. And in in, you know Luke, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. The way that he wrote the whole book, Luke and Acts is one book. Okay, Luke and Acts is one book. So if you see the words of Luke, it's actually very interesting that Luke again and again uses an unlikely person or situation to describe who really knows the kingdom of God. This parable stands among several Lucan parables of crisis. The more specific, Luke actually used status to, to explain the kingdom of God. If you look at, uh, if you still remember, in every instance, there are lies, uh, the, the, the way that Luke described the situation is in social ladder. If you remember the anonymous Jew that was robbed, right, left half dead on the road, it was not the Levites or the priest that saved the, the Jew. It was a Samaritan. It was a Samaritan that saved the Jew. If you look at it, right, the prodigal son, it is not the guy that is home, 
that didn't ask a lot of things that went into the party. The party represents the coming back of Christ, right? The elder brother missed the party until he is willing to humble himself. It was the prodigal son that got into the party. You see, it's very intentional. It was not the disciples that bring about a revival to a village. It was the Samaritan by the well that had five complicated, six complicated relationships that brought about change to her village. Again, it was an unlikely person that Luke described Jesus will use. It was not those righteous Pharisees or Jews that got Jesus into their house. It was Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the chief tax collector, that Jesus went and ate and said, today salvation has come to your house. You know the story of Zacchaeus was only found in Luke. He intentionally tells you, if you think you have it, think again. That is stewardship. Stewardship means, right, you are actually at watch, you know. Stewardship means that you're actually aware. Stewardship, actually, you, you know, you, you don't take things too lightly and take things for granted. Stewardship means that you're actually alert. Stewardship means that actually you are standing at the gate and you watch in case the enemy comes. You are like a watchman. You are watching over your city. That's stewardship. And I want to read this, and, and, and you know, a lot of people would think that it is a great Roman Empire that Jesus probably will take over and preach His kingdom. But it was the rugged cross. Luke 4, verse 25 to 27 says this, But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout the land, all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to the woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. None of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. Do you know what's the common thing about the widow of Zarephath and Naaman? They are not Jews. They are not the covenanted people. And Luke, or, 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 or the words of Christ said this, there are many widows in Israel, you know. There are many believers in the church. But the widow that was sent, that God sent Elijah to, was one from the region of Sidon. These sayings of Jesus offended the religious leaders greatly that day. What happened was that the widow and, the, uh, and Naaman were both not from Israel. Jesus is saying to us, if we think that we thought we have it, we got to be watchful. We got to learn from the manager to be shrewd with what God has entrusted us. We will all give an account at the end of the day for our time, our talents, our substance, our influence in life. Many of you, you have influence. If you are a manager, if you are a leader in your own capacity in your company, steward that well. Use it for the gospel. Don't take it for granted and say, I'm only a Christian when I come to church. In your office, the authority that you have is from God. If you are a parent, the children that you have that you are carrying now, do you know their dependency on you is growing lesser and lesser every day? It is a very good lesson about stewardship. 
one day they will be fully independent. That's how we view stewardship. You don't own your children. They only merely pass through your life that God entrusts you for a period of time. And this church is the same. None of us own this church forever. This church is meant for the next generation. Do you know I was so blessed and so touched just now to see Pastor Esther and then Aiton, three of them lifting up their hands to worship God at the same time. Because to me, the image of Aiton was still a baby for many, many years. But he was one of the first baby that was born in this church. We are merely borrowing from them and we're going to pass the church to them. Do we steward this church well? All of us, all of us, your children, those that are watching online. I want to end with this. How do, are we stewarding the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we stewarding it in a way where we are an organizer? Or are we stewarding in a way where there's truly a heaven and hell? There's truly a future waiting for us. Do we have that urgency of actually... We've been entrusted with the best news, greatest news. You agree with me? It's nothing. Your new car, your new job, your earnings, it's nothing compared to what God has entrusted us, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's nothing, nothing compared to a message that will bring someone to eternity. If you have eaten something well and you would recommend to someone, if you have gone to a place and you would recommend to someone, what more the gospel of Jesus Christ? I would be so lost if the entire MCO, I have no God. And I've gone through so many funerals and I cannot imagine if I have no God in my life. And we have this everlasting hope. And this is what God is saying through Luke 16. Can we learn? I was very challenged when I read an article. It says that, do you know how church is known to be shrewd? It is when we are, we are stewarding the resources, like how Coca-Cola is stewarding their recipe. It is like when Coca-Cola found the recipe of this, this syrup, they think they have found something great and they want to tell the world. And from then on, they have been stewarding this recipe, this good news, that they have gone to the ends of the earth. What about us? Are we just taking things for granted and keeping this recipe to ourselves and we are not no longer passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to let all of you know I am guilty myself in reflecting this and I'm asking God all the time like have I preached the gospel to my children or not? Now I can be taking them, taking them for granted just thinking that they are Christian kids but do they really know about the message that has been entrusted to me? Are you all with me? So in the Habits to Happiness, I want us to take small steps. Can I have an amen? amen? Small steps to know why we exist at the first place. 
we exist not because of this church called Collective. We exist because God has redeemed us. You have a relationship with God. Whether there is a church being organized for you, you learn to walk with God. You learn to hear from God. You learn to discern what's the will of God in your life. And think of the colleagues that you have on your left, on your right, every Monday to Friday. Think of your family members that are still not safe. Are we stewarding the gospel well as a church? Or have we been more like just a daycare? Just babysitting. Babysitting Christians around. And we had a very, very good conversation that day in a content meeting. I want to say we are all very proud of this church because a lot of you has matured. But in our maturity, let us use what God has blessed us to continue to help one, help someone else journey towards maturity. Amen. Amen.